I'm Kim Singletary. And I'm Rich Collins with Biz New Orleans Magazine. Welcome to Biz Talks. Each week, we reach beyond the pages of Biz New Orleans Magazine to bring you in-depth conversations with members of the business community. From the names everyone knows to the ones destined to make their mark, we'll dive into the top issues, best practices, successes, and failures of every industry that calls Southeast Louisiana home. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's podcast. Today, we're going to talk to Amy Stelly, an artist, designer, planner, and teacher known for her advocacy work with the Claiborne Avenue Alliance, a coalition dedicated to the thoughtful development of the Claiborne Corridor. Amy's work made international headlines recently when the Claiborne Expressway, built by the federal government in the 1960s, was recognized as an example of historic inequity by the Biden administration. Today, we'll talk about the history of the Expressway and Stelly's vision for the future. Amy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you. What is the history here of the Claiborne Expressway? How did we get here? How did we get here? So the expressway over Claiborne was actually planned by the city in 1945. Right. So many people think that the Claiborne Expressway was the substitute for the Riverfront Expressway, which was planned by Robert Moses. The Riverfront Expressway was actually planned a year later in 1946. It took 20 years basically from conception to realization because by 1966, we were seeing the trees bulldozed and then eventually the interstate was built. They bulldozed the trees on Ash Wednesday. Yes, yes. And people who remember that very vividly remember the pain of having the trees bulldozed on Ash Wednesday. So, I mean, if you're from New Orleans, you know how Mardi Gras is, you know, it's a whole lot of fun. And then Ash Wednesday, you're chilled out, you're calm. If you're Catholic, you get your ashes or Episcopal, you get your ashes. Um, but to have this done was really a, a, a painful move by the city. And so the context here is that this is when the, the federal government was building these highways across the whole country. And then specifically in New Orleans is the thought that planners put it on Claiborne because it convenient to them or what was the reason? So there are a couple of things that, that came into play. From a, a physical standpoint, Claiborne was, I'll call it the right size for what they want to do. The median in this part of Claiborne is a hundred feet wide. And so the city just came and plopped it down on top of Claiborne. That said, Treme in the 1920s had been declared slum because the vision was to actually turn the neighborhood into an entertainment district. So the declaration of, you know, Treme as slum opened the door for things like eminent domain and the city practiced that, which is how we got the municipal auditorium. What made things worse was that we had redlining and this was a redlined neighborhood. So if you look at the history of highways, they went through historically black communities, very poor communities, communities that were redlined, communities that had been declared slum. Can, can so, you explain the redlining? Ah, so redlining, uh, let, let me put it very simply, was basically um, a mapping of neighborhoods that were considered undesirable for investment. So they were undesirable for real estate investment, 
Um, white homeowners in particular were steered away from neighborhoods that were redlined. Uh, banks tended not to make loans to people who lived in these kinds of districts because they felt that they were bad investments and those districts actually were historically black or brown. So Treme was redlined and um, maybe this is a little known fact, but at back in the thirties, parts of the French Quarter were redlined, the oh, residential wow. sections. Yeah, because the French Quarter, as we know it today, is not how it was. The French Quarter was much more bohemian and racially integrated. And, and that has changed over the years. So the expressway is really just one example of a lot of mistreatment of that neighborhood. Yes, it is one example. So when you look at it, it was first the municipal auditorium being built because eminent domain was practiced and people were displaced. Then you had the interstate come in in the 60s. And one of the most painful pieces of, of that march to change Treme was actually, or is actually Armstrong Park because eminent domain was widely used. People were removed. We got the Mahalia Jackson Center and I called the Treme Center um, the booby prize, right? That was given to the community basically uh, as reparations for taking the homes. Now, that said, the Treme Center has become a, a, a beloved you know, asset in the community. I swim there every day. I was there this morning doing my laps. So we use it, but people in this neighborhood still remember how we got it. And that is painful. So I have to say now the city's plan to actually put city hall in the municipal auditorium is another sore spot in the community. This is not something that the Treme community wants because it continues that tradition, you know, it's built on racist planning. I mean, they declared Treme a slum because it was a minority neighborhood and it's also close to downtown. So we need to begin undoing some of these planning decisions that have led to, you know, a, a painful past in this community. It seems like of all the things that were done to the neighborhood, the, the expressway is the is an extremely visible example. So what happened once that went up? Well, what happened was eventually businesses moved out, right? Because it's very hard to survive in that kind of condition. It's dirty, it's noisy, and it brings traffic that as a business person is really not desirable. Um, and I'll give you a quick for instance, there is a business owner who owns an event hall on Claiborne, and it's a really beautiful place. She rents her space out to brides for weddings and weddings receptions. And she was supposed to meet a bride there. And there was a homeless guy who had just kind of camped out on her ramp and he was sleeping. He was strewn across her handicap access ramp. And when she saw the guy, she told the event hall owner that she was not interested in even going inside to see the place. Right, right. So it is very hard to run a business in that environment. And it has been for the past 50 years. What happened was people moved out and there was divestment. Claiborne was an undesirable place and still is to many people. They'll take the interstate, but they don't want to ride on the surface road because they're afraid of what might happen. The interstate, it's hard to live by them. So housing doesn't work because it's noisy and it's dirty and businesses don't stay for the same reason. And also the foot traffic is different, right? Because businesses in a retail corridor 
they thrive on foot traffic. We're not a mall where people walk and go in. You need people on the street who are actually going to walk in and, you know, be intrigued by what they see in the window and go in. Claiborne used to have that, but when the interstate came, that all went away. Yeah, I picture putting an expressway on top of Magazine Street. Yeah, exactly. So when people say to me, oh, it's different, you know, it's not any different than any other neighborhood, I immediately ask them, do you want this by your house? Right. So I spoke to someone who said that um, it was fine here. I said, well, then I'll put it next to your house. How about we put it on Carrollton Avenue? Or how about right, we put yeah. it on Oak Street? We can have a ramp that comes down. And it was a, it's a NIMBY. You know, nobody wants it. So right. if you don't want it, we don't want it either. Right, right. Okay, so what caused this project to be named in that Biden plan? We have a lot of really good, strong advocates in Washington. Um, and those are both in the nonprofit sector. And I would like to think that our Congress people from Louisiana also had a mention in it. Um, so we we were actually, you know, we, we received a spotlight, but I, I do have to credit the the advocates, the, the planning and urban design advocates, and also the transportation advocates who have been looking out for New Orleans for a couple of years. I, I do not in any way want to make light of, of their um, work when it comes to Claiborne. And we've collaborated um, over the years to actually get to this point. Understood. Okay, now here's here's the heart of the matter. Hmm. How, how does it work? How do you take it down? What section gets taken down? And then what happens with all the traffic? Okay, so let's talk about what gets taken down because I think some people think I'm talking about all of I-10. I'm not talking about the whole of I-10. I'm talking about a roughly two mile section, which isn't a long distance, it's a walkable, right? Between roughly two lane avenue and Elysian Fields. So there's that leg. And then at St. Bernard, I-10 branches off and goes towards 610 through the seventh ward. That leg has to be removed too. Claiborne was devastated, but the damage in the seventh ward, I think is worse and heartbreaking because people's houses are literally almost under the interstate. It looks like the interstate is on kind of on your shoulder, if you could imagine a bridge being on your shoulder. Right, right. Most people, considering the the um, the health impacts of the interstate, they are really, really close. So that needs to come out because we lost a lot of affordable housing there. And I think it would be criminal to only take out um, the section on, on Claiborne Avenue, which is storied and, and beautiful, you know, that's a story that people know. But to leave it up in the seventh ward would just, I think that would be criminal because I know what it's doing and I see how those people have to live and it, it's, it's just not correct. In the new plan, say someone was uptown or someone somewhere like that and you're trying to get out east, how do you go? Right. So we've had a traffic study done. It was done back in 2000, between 2010 and 2012. And the recommendation there was that people who want to go east would actually take Highway 90 to 610. So actually you would loop around as opposed to going through. Gotcha, and gotcha. 10, 
There's a connection at 610 that would have to be repaired. So that is part of the, the plan and the, the potential budget. And that would allow the, the traffic to flow through that 610 Canal Street without having to get on and off. It's a little bit confusing back there. So, so removing the interstate would require us to actually fix some interchanges, but it can be done. What we've seen in other cities is that the traffic naturally disperses, right? Everybody's on Claiborne now because it's kind of a one-trick pony, right? You just, if you want to stay on the interstate, you don't go down Claiborne. But the city, New Orleans is a city of boulevards, and we have a lot of underutilized streets. Um, so there are a couple of other things that we need to do to actually make it work. Number one, the streets have to be fixed so that um, you're not living in fear of driving in a hole if you right. go down a major boulevard. But we also have to beef up transit. At one point, this city had a really, really robust transit system. We've got to raise the, the standards when it comes to our transit service here. So in order to make the cars work, we want to get some off the road. And I'm sure there would be a lot of people who wouldn't mind taking transit if it were efficient, especially if you work downtown. You wouldn't have to park, right? right? The other thing we really need to do is seriously work on rail service between here and Baton Rouge where people commute. I would go to Baton Rouge a whole lot more if I didn't have to drive all the time. I'd prefer to get a train. How much would it cost? Well, we have, and I, I wanna emphasize this, back of the envelope. <laughs> Okay, this is not anything where we have really drilled down on the numbers, but based on the cost of, of doing this in other cities, we're looking at about five to five and a half billion dollars to actually get the work done. But again, I wanna emphasize, we've, we've gotta um, drill down to actually get real numbers because up until, Three weeks ago, this was just kind of my pipe dream, right? And right. we need to break it down to look at removal, what it costs to do the repairs, what it costs to actually make um, the connection around 610 work. And and I, I want to, you know, people get upset when I talk about the 610, but a lot of cities have beltways that go around them. So essentially, that's what we would be doing. It would just be a different system here. Why do you say people get upset when you talk about 610? Because they think that 610 is going to become another Claiborne, and it, it won't. They think all of the traffic is going to run to the same place. The traffic disperses. We just need a way to actually connect east and west, and that is where the, the connection is. It's the most logical, right, because right. it already exists. Um, and in fact, uh, there are times when I've used 610 to actually come into Treme, come in from Metairie, uh, because it's an easier ride. It is not nearly as convoluted as going through 10 downtown. And I'm curious, what are the what are the major obstacles, and, and who would you say are the major opponents to any of this being uh, talked about any further? Right. So at one point the port seemed to be opposed to it because they felt that it would interfere with truck traffic. The traffic study that was done said that the trucks would only, um, you know, have five minutes added to their travel time. And if you're a long haul trucker, 
five minutes when you've been driving in three days is not a lot of time, right? So, so they were listed as um, an entity that opposed the removal. However, that said, I have to say before COVID, the um, leadership at the port had agreed to have a conversation about the removal of Interstate 10. So I would like to think that they have a change of heart. They are looking more into sustainable practices. If there are other opponents, other major opponents, they have not surfaced yet. What we do have to do, because people are very worried about it, is um, we have to make sure that we have programs in place and tools in place to keep people who live here in their homes because everybody is afraid that you know the interstate will come down, the neighborhood will be improved, and all of the people who have lived here their whole lives will be forced to move. That is a very real concern. It has happened in other cities, but there are a couple of things in our favor. Um, number one, the Biden administration has recognized that this is a problem. So within the infrastructure bill, there are layers where you can actually create programs to help people, like for entrepreneurship, access to capital, training craftsmen, um, you know, creating apprenticeship programs. These are things that help people stay in their homes because it gives them a way to actually um, earn monies that can help them become homeowners. So that's one thing that we have to do. We have to make sure that maybe renters who have been here forever have the opportunity to to create home ownership. So the, the gentrification is a big piece and we do have to work on that as a city. Um, the other thing that people are really worried about and I understand that is the actual dismantling of the structure. And it's not opposition, it's concern. And the concern is well-placed. I mean, because even the repair of the cities, you know, um, uh, God bless the administration for finally taking this project on to repair the city streets, but my street has been closed since January. We're now in May, and it should not take us five months to repair streets, a street. And it's not only, it's not the whole street, it's a block. <laughs> so, so we do have to um, talk about the the engineering piece of it, because it can't, we can't take five months to do like a block. Um, engineers who are seasoned in this kind of work have told me that that particular style of interstate can be dismantled at the rate of a block a week because of how the concrete pieces lay on top of one another. Um, so, so we've got a great opportunity here to show the world that we can do this and act, actually do it through a lens of equity. Are there some residents in Treme who are not in favor of taking it down? Um, I wouldn't say not in favor. They have concerns about the gentrification, but most people are thrilled that this is a real possibility now. Because remember, Treme has people who, who have lived here for generations. So they're cautiously optimistic because of the, the issues that we're, we are going to have to solve as a city. But there's nobody in the neighborhood who has lived with this thing who has said, keep it up. Because we know that the dirt it brings, we know what the respiratory um, illnesses are, you know, we have cancer on the block. I mean, it's, it's not a great environment. We don't have a great quality of life 
we've been going on through this pandemic and seeing some light at the end of the tunnel. As you're thinking about New Orleans and its future, what makes you still worried and what makes you feel optimistic? Well, now I'm totally excited about the the possibility of transforming the city and actually building um, back an area that was devastated, but building it back in a way that is unique and rich and equitable. I, that to me is so exciting and actually just doing the design work because I'm a designer and I love to do that. The thing that I'm concerned about, I'll use the word concerned, is um, transparency and our city's ability to really work quickly and efficiently. This is something that we have to approve, uh, improve, excuse me. It, there's a very small window to actually get in, get your grant approved and start doing the work. So we've gotta be quick. We can't wait until the door is open. I mean, there are plenty of other cities that are gonna be vying for this money. Um, the Washington Post story that actually started this uh, whole, you know, um, interest in Claiborne quoted the, the mayor from Syracuse. They, Syracuse is going to be going after the money, just like every other city, right? Um, St. Paul has a plan that they want to execute, as does uh, Austin, you know, Tampa. So there are a lot of cities that are going to be vying for the money. And if we do the, okay, we'll get there one day, you know, <laughs> after the parade, we're going. Well, <laughs> you know, we can go after the parade, but the money's going to be gone already. So, right. so we do have to improve the the way that we pursue these kinds of things. But, but I think that if we all put our heads together and decide that this is something that's good for the city, and it is, then I think we can get it done, and we can do a. a project that we're all very proud of. I'm confident that we have enough skill and talent and vision here to actually get the work done. Well, Amy Stelly, I appreciate you sharing all your expertise with us. Uh, it's a fascinating story. No problem. I loved it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Biz Talks. If you like what you hear each week, don't forget to rate us and leave a comment wherever you listen to your podcasts. And follow us on social media at Biz New Orleans. For more information or to contact us, please visit bizneworleans.com slash biztalks.